Hi, everyone. It's so nice to see such a full church. So you know me. I'm, I'm Kate Pepper. If you don't know me, that's my name. I've been a, a member for about nine years, I think. Um, I was trying to figure out how long have I been here? And I had things that were ancient. And I went, wow, almost 10 years. Awesome. So. Uh, before we actually receive the offering, um, I'm going to be reading from Revelations 2, 1 through 7. And these are the words of Jesus, a letter to the church of Ephesus. And as I read, sort of like what we did with Justin, just pay attention to any words or phrases that resonate with you. Okay, to the church of Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Thank you, Kate, for reading that. Really appreciate it. Jane, thank you so much. Love that. Hey, um, I just want to welcome you to our church. How's that sound? Yeah. I am uh, so, so excited to be here. I was telling somebody just a few moments before the service that it felt like the, the process leading up um, to uh, the last time I was here, which was the first time, uh, it felt like that process went by so fast. And then since then, it's like somebody hit the brakes and just kept on saying, let's, let's, let's get going. I'm, I'm ready to go. And so it's, I'm excited to be here. Um, my wife, Beth, is, uh, is back here on my left. Um, she is being pointed to by several people. <laughs> and, uh, um, she, uh, she shares my enthusiasm and Callie, my daughter, is somewhere around here, uh, over there. Okay, all right. Okay, I already found uh, the teenagers. Awesome. All right, very good. Um, she, uh, Callie, is 14. She is going to be a freshman. Uh, my son Jack is going to be a junior. He is in St. Louis right now, visiting grandparents and having some fun uh, for the summer months before his junior year. Uh, but we are, are thrilled to be here. I can't wait for you to get to know my family. Um, they are really, um, I, I find them to be incredibly easy to love. And, um, and I, think, I think you will as well. Um, so uh, Ashton and Max and Eric and Brian joined me up here a couple weeks ago to help move some books into my new office next door here. 
And there was a note on the desk, a letter from Matt Crick. And I cannot begin to tell you how encouraging that note was. Um, the letter he wrote was, and for those of you that know him, I don't think this will surprise you. It was, it was written poetically, uh, just from the depths of his heart. I found it to be so encouraging, um, filled with hope as he was kind of saying, hey, these are, some, these are some great people that you're about to do life with and, and get to know. And I just found it, um, you ever get, sometimes you get a note and you're like, oh, that's nice. And then sometimes you get a letter and you're like, okay, this is a keeper. Yeah, it was a keeper. Okay, um, I still have that. Uh, to be honest, I've read it several times, <laughs> um, uh, just leading up to this morning. And uh, there's something about a note like that that's uh, that's a keeper. And letters are very personal, like that. Uh, the texts and emails can kind of attempt to do that, but a handwritten letter just kind of communicates something uh, completely at a, just at a different level. And that's what Matt's letter was for me. And so I uh, just really appreciate the work he has done and that I can kind of ride the wave and continue uh, with the great work that God has planned for us here in this church. Um, I want to make note that uh, what Kate read was a letter. She read a letter to the churches, um, to one of the seven letters to churches. And uh, this one specifically was a letter to Ephesus. Uh, it was very poetic. It, uh, it, and we're going to look at kind of how there's kind of some play on words there. But this is a letter written by Jesus. It was dictated by John. And suffice it to say, it was, it was a keeper. Okay, this is one uh, that the church of Ephesus treasured. But it's also one that obviously we still have today. And I think we can, we can glean so much from it. And so what I thought we would do just to kind of kick things off for the month of August and maybe as we uh, get to early September, because it's going to be here before we know it, we're going to walk through in Revelation 2 and 3, we're going to walk through each of these letters and see what Jesus has to say about the church. And though our church is not specifically mentioned in these letters, we will see that those churches are made up of people, just like our church is made up of people. And really when it boils down to it, we're kind of all the same. We're going to have the same uh, struggles, the same successes. And I want us to see what Jesus has to say to them and how that will apply to us. And so it begins by saying to the angel of the church in Ephesus. And so what I'm going to do just for the next uh, few minutes is just kind of walk back through that passage. If you want to use that, that Bible uh, that's around you there or it'll be up on the screen. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, right. And so uh, what do we know about the church of Ephesus? What's a little bit of background here? Well, uh, as best as I can tell, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who helped establish this church, had visited Ephesus some 60 years before the, the writing of this letter, of this letter that Jesus wrote to the church at Ephesus. And so kind of think of it like this. Two generations have, have grown up now in that church Two generations, and so there's some history there. Uh, they've been doing some things that we're going to we're going to look at here. But the thing I want to notice first is it's written to the church in Ephesus. Church is singular. It's not to the churches in Ephesus. It's to the church in Ephesus. There was only one gospel preaching, disciple making 
um, Jesus-loving church in Ephesus. And I love that there was this kind of, uh, basically it's, it, it's one church, there's, there's unity. And I just wanted to say, and this won't be the whole, the, the whole direction of the message, but I wanna say up front, I hope that what we participate in, in this area, helps us in our area become one church. I believe that what God desires is to look at Marin and speak to the church. And I don't mean that we're all going to end up under one roof. Um, we're still going to have our, the, the unique ways that we live out our different callings and use our unique gifts. But I want us to be um, one church. I believe that when God is in something, it brings unity. Unity is a really big deal to God. And so what would that say to this community if they saw churches that were no longer defensive or posturing or hoarding people or poaching or anything like that? What would it say to the people around us if they saw the church loving one another? If they saw churches reaching out um, across to one another and showing love to one another? Help me out just a little bit here. When we at Bay Marin hear of someone that's being baptized at, and name a church in the area here. Valley Baptist. Say it again. Valley Baptist. Valley Baptist. <laughs> All right. When we hear of, of someone who has given their life to Christ and they are baptized at Valley Baptist, we celebrate that. How exciting is that? Um, when we hear of, um, name another church. Grace Covenant. When we hear that Grace Covenant sends a group of people out on a mission trip, we find out about that and we cover them in prayer. And we see if there's maybe some tangible resources that we could contribute to help them as they are out sharing God's love. Maybe we hear of another church in the area that's struggling and we consider how can we come alongside them to help them fulfill the calling that God has for them as a church. I believe God wants to look and write a letter to us, the church of Marin. Yes, there will be some specific calls, uh, a specific way that we can reach out and we will be Jesus' hands and feet in the community. But I love this picture that we start with here of, of unity, one body. When Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. Paul also wrote a letter about 60 years prior, and he says in Ephesians 3, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. Unity, coming together, oneness is a really big deal. Now, verses 2 and 3, um, we get to where Jesus kind of pats them on the back. And I look forward to, uh, who doesn't love a pat on the back, right? Uh, you get a letter from someone and they're, they're saying, hey, this is what I love about you. And maybe that's just the part as you stop at in the letter and you just read that over and over and over. <laughs> okay? Um, this is what I love about you. And Jesus says um, to this church at Ephesus, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So in just the short time that I've had to spend with, with several of you, and one thing that's very obvious is your willingness to roll up your sleeves and to jump in and to serve. Um, you would not have gotten this far 
if it wasn't for those of you who have said, this is not just a church that I attend. This is, this is a body, and I play a significant part in this, and I want to give my life to it. Um, you sacrifice, you serve, you work hard to show the riches of Christ. You go the extra mile, um, and you've taken your call seriously. And I believe this is something that God says, way to go. This is a part of a letter that if he were to write to Bay Marin specifically, he would say, thank you for the hard work that you are doing. Way to persevere. From what I understand, um, this was a, just a few short months ago. You were like, God, what, what do you have in store for us as a church, as a, as a body? And you felt that there is still a work to be done. And you wanted to press in and you wanted to continue to serve. And I want you to know that my family and I, share in this desire to be a part of a great and sacred work here at Bay Marin. Um, and it is work. It doesn't, um, it doesn't mean that it's a drudgery work. Uh, we see that really when, when love is our motive for serving, um, then that really compels us to go that extra mile. Um, now, I'll be the first to admit that I wish God, I wish God graded on a curve. You know what I mean? Like he would just kind of see, oh, okay, they did really good on this. And this is really what I'm going to give them a score on. But um, it, it's, it's not some sliding scale with God. And that's why I struggle with verse four. Yet I have this against you. You've done all these great things, yet I have this against you. So why would God point out the ways that, um, that this church in particular has fallen short and overlooking the issues, um, he's, he's basically saying, I don't want you to overlook some of the issues that might be holding you back from doing even greater work. Um, so as, as many of you know, we moved into our new house on Tuesday and we have everything in place. All the pictures hung. It is beautiful um, already. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, we had several of you show up on Tuesday and you were helping unload the, bo uh, unload the, the truck and get some stuff into the house. And we are very grateful for that. Um, I woke up a couple of days ago in our new home. And um, the first thought that I had is was some stuff that I ended up journaling later on that same morning. The remaining boxes refused to empty themselves. <laughs> I woke up this morning to stacks of boxes staring me in a slightly stubborn way. They whisper, you, you put me here, Gary. It's your stuff in here. You avoided me yesterday, and I'm still here today. If this is going to go away, you're going to have to deal with this. No snapping my fingers, no rubbing a magic lamp or wish making will make the boxes disappear. So I kind of chewed on that for a little bit. And then an application, um, kind of a personal finger began to point at me. My issues, hidden and packed away, and even neatly stacked, my stuff will not fix itself. It takes rolling up my sleeves, acknowledging work to be done, breaking a sweat. Change requires effort on my part. So kind of press and pause on that journal entry to, to draw from this metaphor um, uh, and, and rephrasing verse four, yet I hold this against you. Um, it's kind of like I began to think, yet I see these boxes stacked up against you. So part of why God points out some stuff 
that we will be working on, that we need to work on, is because he's inviting us into this process of transformation. I wish our transformation in Christ was something that we just rub that magic lamp or he snaps his fingers and we wake up and everything is different and everything is better and everything is perfect, but we are invited into this transformation process. So, question for you, how do you typically respond when you wake up and you acknowledge that God might be holding something against you? What's your first response to that? What is it that maybe um, you would want to, uh, to say or to do when, when you realize, wow, that's, boy, that, what just happened? What came out of my mouth in traffic right there? That's something I need to work on. Or do you excuse it away? Um, is it some responses that you have just in the privacy of your own home that are brought to your attention and, and you realize these are some things that I need to work on? Do you, do you find yourself wanting to make some excuses? Do you find yourself wanting to justify it? Well, if you knew the day I had, then, you know. So how do you, how do you deal with waking up and seeing a stack of boxes? Just some things that, that God's saying, hey, I, I want you to partner with me in wrestling with these. So as I continued to journal, this was my prayer. What boxes do I need to unpack so you, Jesus, feel more at home in this temple? What's the stuff I have been foolishly hoping will magically disappear? There is no box that I cannot unpack when partnering with you. No contents of a box are so embarrassing that they need to be kept from your sight. My boxes are labeled. I know what I'm getting myself into. But I'm not alone in this. What if today I discovered that you were in each of my boxes? What if unpacking my many issues helped me find and get to know you in ways I've not encountered you before? Unpacking stacks of things I would rather hide is one of the ways that I can meet Jesus. Who would have thought that I'd be able to draw closer to the one I was trying to hide stuff from? He's not avoiding me because of my issues. He's waiting to meet me there. Through reading your word this morning, may, may your word be a small sword that slices through the tape, opening the box, unbinding and revealing unaddressed junk in my life. So that's how I approach the scriptures. And um, the reading that I had for that day was from Hosea 11. Um, how many of us love reading Hosea? Yeah, that's what I thought. All right. It was, it was an assigned reading. And uh, so I get, I get to that, Hosea 11. And, um, and I begin to read. And what Hosea 11 is doing is it's describing a group of people who rebelled. But in spite of their rebellion, in other words, in the midst of all of their boxes, here's how God responded. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. And I pictured that. That's, that's such a tender picture of our father. It's almost like a, a, you might even associate that more with a mother's response than a father's response. But I kind of let that motherly image of God's love sink in. A God who loves me so much to hold me that close it reminds me, God doesn't rejoice in holding my sins against me. He wants to hold himself next to me. And this is the beauty that we have when God loves us enough to say, hey, okay, I do hold some things again. You've been doing some great things, but this I hold against you. It's really his way of loving us 
Because he says, as we partner together on these things, as we grow in this, we are going to grow closer together. I played a little college basketball, and by played, I mean I, I made the team and I gave water to the guys that were on the court most of the time. And um, especially my first, my, my, my freshman year of college, it just felt like I could do nothing right. My coach was constantly on me. And I kind of look around and like, I'm not the only one making bad passes. I'm not the only one missing shots. Why is he being so hard on me? And I said to one of the upperclassmen on the team, I was like, why is the coach being so hard on me? I don't see him being that hard. And he said, oh no, you should be thankful that the coach is being hard on you. That means he really sees a lot in you and he's not going to let it slide. And I think we need to realize that God loves us and he sees so much in us that sometimes he's going to say okay so you got some boxes you got a few issues we're going to work on these things whether it's individually or as a church we tackle those things together because in those we find Jesus and we find that he loves us and then uh, just to kind of wrap this up for my my journal entry stuff I get to verse 11 of Hosea 11 and I wrote are you kidding me verse 11 says I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. What a beautiful gift. How is this for a timely verse to read the week we move into our new place? We partner with God to make changes, to unbox the stuff that God could hold against us. The greatest blessing isn't just that the stacks of boxes someday go away, even greater. We make a home with Jesus. Isn't that what we're after? This is what we long for. So back to the specifics of the church in Ephesus. What was Jesus saying was in their box? What was it that they needed to wrestle through? What was it that needed to be unpacked? And verses 4 and 5 talk to us about that. Uh, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen kind of stings a little bit doesn't it the way he's he's saying this it's not like he just mentions it like well okay this is uh, you, you just you don't love like you used to he's saying i want you to consider this i want you to visit this for a little bit and so he's not going to let the church of ephesus off the hook there now what's interesting is he begins to kind of use what I, I would say kind of a play on words. The word Ephesus is derived from a Hittite word. Anybody speak Hittite here? No? I was told this was a highly educated crowd. Okay, it's a little disappointing. Nobody speaks Hittite. Yeah, I don't. Um, the word Ephesus is drawn from that word that means to look back or to draw back. So get this, Jesus, in a very poetic way, uses the name of their city as a play on words. In other words, he's saying, Ephesus, you Ephesist. (laughs) You drew back from the love that once characterized all you did. Ephesus, I want you to Ephesus. I want you to look back to consider how far you have fallen from that place of love. So I want us to take this literally. I want us to take a moment to consider. And this word consider, we could kind of think of it as remember or recall. And this does not mean just a mental exercise, like remember something or consider it. It actually has tied into it your gut. Feel this. So Jesus is saying to these people, I don't want you to just kind of remember that. I want you to feel 
what that was like when you used to really, really love. And he's reminding us of that because he wants us to get back to that place. He wants us to walk in that kind of a love. Now, this is specifically talking about a love for him. I wonder if it's something similar to when when David confessing his sins in Psalm 51 said, um, restore to me the joy of salvation. I want that love back. Any of us that have been in a long-term relationship knows that it can kind of be like that where our love can, can kind of ebb and flow. It can surge, and sometimes it's, it's drawn back for different reasons. And he is saying, I want you to consider this. Now, as we consider um, what this is like, and we allow ourselves to feel, maybe we just begin to ask ourselves some questions. When, when in my life did I love Jesus the most? When in my life did I, did I pursue him with with an unyielded abandon? Was there a time when my affections for him, when he just consumed my thoughts so much? And what was that like? What were the things that led you to that point? Because he's saying, repent, have a change of perspective and do those things again. So as we consider that, um, how do we how do we unpack this box? If we have loved God more at some point than we do now, and love is so crucial to what we are called to do, then what are the things that we need to remember? I want to go back to the first verse of Revelation 2. Jesus wrote, These are the words of him, Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, I'm holding up my left. I'm not a very educated person either. Uh, he holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So what is this talking about? What is this imagery? Well, in, in chapter one, it's explained very clearly that the, uh, the, the stars and the lampstands are both in reference to the seven churches that he is writing to. And so what I think is noteworthy here is that Jesus both holds the churches and he walks among the churches at the same time. And let me kind of explain what this, what this is saying to those of us who are a part of the church, are part of the body of Christ, who are Christians. We have both an established position and a present condition. So let me tell you what our position is. Um, and Jane, this would be like, um, this would be a promise that we can claim. Okay, this position. Uh, we are held in his hand because of the value of his work, because of who he is, uh, because of what he has done on the cross. Um, because of that, our position in Christ um, is secure. And our condition, our present condition, is that he walks among us because he cares how we are doing. What is your current condition? Your current condition could be a lot of things. You could be in despair. You could be elated. You could be wounded and broken. Um, you could be filled with hope. Your condition, whatever your present condition is, I want you to know that Jesus walks among us because he cares for us. Now, can you see why it's vital to keep in mind our position secure in his hand, regardless of our condition? Our position is really important. This is, this, these are part of the promises as his children that we claim. Um, 
even as a, like as a dad, I can kind of relate to this. I hold my children in my hand and I walk among them. I, don't, I can't hold them quite like I used to as they've grown up. But um, I will always call Jack and Callie my children. They are always my children. Their position in my family will not change. Their condition, though, may change from day to day, even moment to moment. Um, their condition could be one of, and I've already named some that could be our conditions. They could be going through uh, just a time of brokenness, joy, despair, rebellion, submission, woundedness, health, whatever it is. But I hold them securely. They are positioned as my children, but I also walk among them, which is a way that I say, I want to see how you are doing. When Beth and I said we were going to have kids, it wasn't just that, so that we could proclaim, hey, we, we have two kids. Yay, that's it. Our, our way to go. More than that, it was kind of our way of saying, we want to love two people and do life with these two children that God has blessed us with. I believe our position as children of God is secure. Jesus will not lose his grip on us as Christians. He will not lose his grip on us as the church. But our condition as children wavers and he walks among us to diagnose our condition and to call us to actions that bring us closer to him. As a church, we're in the hand of God and God himself walks among us. I want to say that again because this is a really big deal. We are in God's hand but God himself walks among us right now. May God give us the eyes to see the ever-present God walking in our midst. Amen. So how secure do you feel in your position as a child of God? And what is your current condition? Now, when we consider this, I want to make sure that we're not taking ourselves down an unhealthy path. Considering where we are does not mean fixing it. It does not mean giving yourself a pep talk and saying, okay, I am never going to be like that again. I am on my way. I'm on the fast track to doing things right. Um, considering it doesn't mean you start giving God reasons and excuses for your current condition. It is simply inviting yourself to acknowledge what truly is and to let God love you right there. Can I, can I tell you one of the biggest leaps you could make in your spiritual journey could be just that simple. Um, let God love you right where you are. Instead of trying to come up with the next thing that you can do to prove to God that you're worth loving, would you just let him love you right there where you are? Just say, okay, I don't, I don't have it all figured out. But God wants to embrace you. When I was a, a personal trainer, I did personal training for a while. And I was always amazed at the number of people as I would be talking to them. Hey, have you considered hiring a personal trainer? Would you be interested in allowing me to be your personal trainer? I was always amazed at the number of people who said, yeah, I kind of want to. I would, but I, I kind of want to get in shape first. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, it was kind of like, yeah, I was, you know, kind of want to get a little head start on this. And I think, I think sometimes I do this with God where I'm like, boy, I want to I kind of want to get some spiritual momentum going and then I'm going to reconnect with God. And God's like, no, this is, I want to love you right there where you are. 
the reason I want to train you is because I see who you are. And will you let me love you in that place? And he gives a a stern word of warning at the end of verse 5. If we don't return to that first love and we don't allow that flame to be rekindled, um, he says, if you do not repent, if you do not, do not have this change of perspective, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So is this what, removing our lampstand, what does that mean? Does that mean, are we in danger of losing our salvation? I believe not only this verse, but several verses teach us a principle, and that is that our salvation in Christ is secure because of the work of Christ. This goes back to that position that promise that we have of our position in Him. But what I believe that this is talking to us about is our impact in the community could take a hit. Um, Jesus expects us to be a light. How are we going to be a light in San Rafael? How are we going to be a light in our workplaces? How are you going to be a light in your school? How are we going to be a light in our neighborhoods and the places that we visit with our good friends, with total strangers? As we have this ever-renewing love with Christ, that is the light that we take out into this world. Kind of goes back to the one church thing. I believe that as we learn to love each other, as we learn to love the people that God brings in our path, how awesome would it be if just in our community people were saying, I I don't really know a whole lot about those people, but I have never been loved like I was by them. I have never seen a group of people who love each other so deeply and so sincerely. What kind of a light could that be? how, How much could that attract people to be a part of this fellowship, to be a part of the church here. Um, Some good friends of ours were over for dinner a couple weeks ago, friends of ours from San Jose. And they said, what are are you looking forward to the most? And I I don't know if I was supposed to have some specific, you know, like this is, these are the top three things that I'm going to do as lead pastor, you know, whatever. I didn't have any answer like that. I just I, I'm just looking forward to loving some people. And one of them, uh, Josh, replied, he said, you know what, I think you should look forward to being loved too. What if in our community we just became known as a group of people who really love each other like never before? So how do we do that? Is this something that we just kind of, okay, that's our goal. We're going to grit our teeth and we're going to love each other. And we're going to love the people around us, you know, Um, even when it's difficult. I'm just going to power through, you know, I'm going to do my best. You might be thinking, okay, I don't I don't know this Gary guy, but I'm going to love him. Maybe maybe he's easier to love because I don't know him. I don't know. But we're going to. Well, what I've learned is we can try to do certain things, but our energy, our 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 strength to do something like that is going to fizzle out. But what we can do is we can train ourselves so that the most natural thing is to love. So rather than trying really hard to love, I want to kind of leave you with a real simple exercise that you can do throughout the week that I believe will strengthen the muscles you need to love God and to love others. Um, 
I want us, and this is kind of an assignment, so to speak, I want us to dwell on God's love for us. And we read this in 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. I think a great first step for us loving one another is receiving God's love for us. In fact, I don't think we're going to be able to love other people any more than we are willing to accept God's love for us. For us to be able to look each other in the eye and say, I am deeply loved by God. I am his beloved. And the more we can receive that, the more I believe that we will be able to share that love with others. So this week, whether it's on your commute, if it's uh, just uh, during your lunch break, if it's in the evening, your head hits the pillow instead of the first thing being reaching for the remote to fall asleep watching television, what if you just took a few moments to consider God's love for you? Would you do that this week? Let him speak to you about his love for you. Now, we consider the present condition of our lives and our love for Jesus. But I want us right now, in a very tangible way, to consider his love for us. And we're going to do that through a really powerful symbol of his love that was a sacrificial love where he held nothing back, giving his whole self for us on the cross. And so as we enter into this time of communion... I want us to consider, I want us to not just remember, but to feel what this is like to be loved so much that someone would give their life for us. He is walking among us. And one of the ways that we recognize that is just as we celebrate with the bread and the cup. And so um, I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up and I'm going to read this passage from 1 Corinthians 11. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So who is this meal for? Let me kind of tell you who this meal is not for. It is not for those who have a perfect love for Jesus. It is not for people who have never Ephesist, <laughs> who have never fallen back or pulled back. It is not for those who have unpacked every box and dealt with every issue in their life. And that's good news, my friends. <laughs> Instead, this sacred meal is for everyone who is held in his gracious embrace. It is for each of us who have accepted that Jesus' love is unconditional. It is for everyone who has invited God to take them by the hand, for everyone who believes that he is walking among us even now. Here at Bay Marin, we take this meal very seriously. This is our favorite meal of the week. We take this every week together. We come together um, as people who are loved just as we are. And we acknowledge that and we thank him as we take the bread and the cup, his body offered for us, his blood shed for us. 
I'm going to pray um, a, a blessing over this sacred meal. And afterwards, you're invited to come up and uh, you will dip the bread in the cup. Every time I've been at a church and I only see one cup, my, I get a little concerned as a germaphobe. Um, are we drinking from that? And we are not drinking from that cup. You'll take the bread and you'll dip it in. Those of you that this is home, you're familiar with that. Um, but this is what I would ask you to do, whether it's uh, just seated where you are before you come forward or as you are in line. I want you to consider, begin reflecting on Jesus' love for you right there as you are. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the one who holds us in your gracious hand. Forgive us for the times and the ways we have tried to squirm our way loose from your loving embrace. As we take this special meal, we are considering, we are thinking and feeling, we are accepting your display of unconditional love. We pray this in the name of the one who gave his life for us. Amen. Celebrating in communion with me. Uh, thank you for this opportunity uh, to start this journey, this big adventure together. Uh, apparently we are starting this journey with, with a Mexican fiesta, which sounds like a great, <laughs> great thing. Um, may you be blessed as you go. May you find beautiful places to be still and recognize God's love for you. Mm. You're dismissed. Amen.